and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 257. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to discuss the 10th Star Trek feature film, Star Trek Nemesis. Here we go. Star Trek Nemesis, release date, Friday, December 13th, 2002, directed by Stuart Baird, produced by Rick Berman, screenplay by John Logan, story by John Logan, Rick Berman, and Brent Spiner, music by Jerry Goldsmith, cast includes Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as William T. Riker, Brent Spiner as Data, LeVar Burton as Geordi LaForge, Michael Dorn as Worf, Gates McFadden as Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, Tom Hardy as Shinzon, and Ron Perlman as Riemann Viceroy. On Romulus, members of the Romulan Senate debate terms of peace and alliance from the Riemann rebel leader Shinzon. The Riemanns are a slave race of the Romulan Empire, used as miners and cannon fodder. While a faction of the military supports Shinzon, the Praetor and Senate are opposed to the alliance. After rejecting the motion, the Praetor and the Senators are disintegrated by a device left in the room. Meanwhile, the crew of the USS Enterprise prepare to bid farewell to newly married First Officer Commander William Riker and Counselor Deanna Troy. Thereupon, they discover an energy reading on a planet near the Romulan neutral zone. Captain Picard, Lieutenant Worf, and Lieutenant Commander Data land on the planet and discover the remains of an android resembling Data named B-4. There is a better way. It's too late. Never, never. You still have a choice. Make the right one now. I can't. Fight what I am. Yes, you can. I'll show you my true nature. Our nature. And as Earth dies, remember I will always forever be Shinzon of Remus. And my voice shall echo through time long after yours has faded to a dim memory. All right, Star Trek Nemesis, the movie that killed the next generation. <laughs> um, the movie that was both critically and commercially unsuccessful. One of the few Star Trek movies that I think the only thing rated lower on Rotten Tomatoes is Star Trek V. Uh, depends on the day of the week whether I would say I dislike it more than Star Trek V, but. It's not a good movie. Uh, I do remember remember how excited I was when it came out. And just immediately, I mean, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but just think about it. We saw all the, the posters, the, the teaser, the, tra- the full trailer. Uh, there was a teaser poster, the one that had like Shinzon's back and stuff. And there was the actual full theatrical like release poster, you know, with credits and stuff. Um, lots and lots of marketing. TV spots. I don't know if you remember Adam the time when the I think the when the first TV spot and teaser came out I burned a DVD and made it a loop put it on like a loop yeah and then put it put it, we worked at the Blockbuster Video and I and I put it on all the TV screens at the Blockbuster Video and let it play over and over I was so excited right mm-hmm. uh, so the this movie you sit down you start watching it the movie starts and it says Star Trek Nemesis it says Nemesis and I think like the E's are backwards or something because, oh, look, he's a mirror. Okay, fine. But the font, the words, the word nemesis and the the camera like flies through it. It's all the, and I immediately, I remember the first time I ever saw it, I was like, 
wait, that's not that's not the marketing font. That's completely different than all the posters and trailers and teasers and TV spots and everything I've ever seen, even in the dang newspaper. Everything ever, never, ever looked like this. I know that sounds like a, a silly thing to complain about, but there's a simple consistency that I don't know that I can name for you any other movie in history that did this. It was so weird. It was so like, how many different people are making this movie? And there's no, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was, it was so immediately like, oh no, we're in trouble (laughs) for the very beginning. I know that might sound kind of dumb, but just think about it. You've never experienced that before. Imagine watching an Indiana Jones movie and it comes on and it's like Indiana Jones in like Helvetica or something. (laughs) It's like, that's not what it's supposed to look like. (laughs) It's just, it was like, Oh, am I the only person? I've never heard anybody else complain about this, but it still bugs the crap out of me every time I see it. And I remember the first time I ever saw it, just thinking, this is a problem. We are not, we're in for a bad time here. And then it goes into the, 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 the Romulan Senate sequence. And as I talked about last time, we get this, all the first lines, the first lines anybody says in the movie are all really, really bad ADR. You know, looped lines, ending, of course, with the line of, of course. And it just, it's so awful. It's so cheap. It's, it's, it's not even like TV quality. <sighs> that will go on. But for example, did the, the, did the font of the title of this movie it bother you guys ever? Am I the only person that had that problem? Uh, Steve, I don't guess so. Not really. But um, I, w- I would say I would agree with the whole that it, it's all. Um... It's very messy. I mean, it's just kind of like a shoddily done piece of work overall is what's unfortunate, you know? And I think, I think what you have is that you have this confluence of a, a piece of work that is okay. may not be the, it's not going to be the worst movie in history or anything like that, but you combine that with what's riding on it. Right. Because, I, I had to ask myself, what if this would have been the best Star Trek movie in history coming out at this point in time, you know? And I don't know that even that would have significantly altered the course of things because, you know, we had Enterprise that started. We already had the ratings weren't great for that. Uh, I think, you know, obviously, you know, people were just starting to lose interest. It had been going on a long time. And I, I think it would, I don't know, I don't know what would it would have had to have been to really change the course of things. You know, maybe we got another next gen movie, you know, if it would have been significantly better. Right. But that's about it, you know, and, and then you have, then you add on to that, that it's, it's just really bad in, in, in terms of all of these things that are, that are just kind of done poorly a lot of that's i can chalk up to you know direction you know it's like let's let's uh let's try to take this on another course bring in this guy and what you get is is just a whole lot of bizarre choices or something right you know it's like it, it's not like i can't imagine this script taken and making a de- something decent out of it you know it's just that if you 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 take it and you there, there are places you could have focused more and on cut other things out you could have made other choices besides like overexposing the desert and making this weird all you know like when they go out to the, in these cars and they're having the big ATV rally or whatever the heck they're doing out there and I hate that sequence so much and it's oversaturated like it's some kind of um, 
you know, like it's maybe a way to kind of indicate that you're thinking back on something, but it just goes on for like a half hour, it feels like, or whatever. And it's like, what are they doing with this part? And then, and it's then just it's like this one this weird, cheap, crappy pitch black ripoff. Like, uh-huh. oh, this is how we can cheaply make it look like an alien planet. It's like every, at every turn, the choice was, a choice was made that was the choice, a poor choice that made it a crappier movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and and it's sad because it's not like it's what some of the stuff they were trying to do wasn't awful. There were some interesting notions and everything else. It's just that, I mean, okay. So, I mean, I'm kind of cutting to the chase here, but you know, we always talk about, you know, I watched it with my wife who'd never seen it before. Um, you know, she, she thought it was, it was fine. You know, there wasn't, there was kind of no feeling about it whatsoever. And in fact, until you got to, the you know the the uh, ATV desert rally or whatever was going on out there, it it wasn't it wasn't just god awful you know what I mean to me that's kind of the turning point where it's like what are we doing you know that you know it, it feels at least for the like record that it's not eighty minutes or ninety minutes into the movie <laughs> right right beginning <laughs> yeah, you know, like ten minutes or something yeah. right you know at that point that's when it kind of goes starts going south and you have all these strange choices. So, I mean, so for yeah. me, it was uh, the first text that's on screen, second to the movie. But he gave it a good ten minutes, <laughs> right? So anyway, I, 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 um, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that I, I hadn't seen this in a long time. This is the next gen film I'd seen the least often, for sure. But I'd seen it several times. But it's been a long time, and I, and I recognize that I that it's at a very critical point in the history of Star Trek that I'm not sure even the best Star Trek film ever could have significantly changed the history of things right but instead you get this and it kind of just kills everything you know and um but it's it's just it's just sad that so many poor choices were made and um you know we i think we can decide probably a million ways this could have been done differently with with essentially the same script even or something you know to to make it not as bad you know um but I guess what I remember most about this is I, it, it took me back, you know, this is 18 years ago or whatever. And it took me back to remembering how, you know, significant I was aware at the time how significant this was at a moment in Trek history, knowing the enterprise ratings weren't so great. Are we going to see any more Trek and are we going to see another next gen movie? And then when made in Manhattan was number one at the box office and I was like, Oh my God, it's Armageddon, you know, that, it, that, that's what I remember from this, you know, and, and that's what I saw, you know, I, I, what I saw was, okay, this isn't the worst film ever, but it is quite bad. And it was a really bad time to be bad, you know, in the history of Trek. So anyway, there you go. Adam, want to assume your first thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm pretty much in agreement. Um, I, I won't, I won't hash over too much over it. I, I, let's, let's, I'll try to talk about the positives here about this film. Okay. You have this character Shinzon played by Tom Harding in retrospect. That was a good casting, you know. Tom Harding's a great actor. He's gone on to have a very good career, so that kind of still gives this film some relevance with having Tom Hardy in it. And um, Ron Perlman's always always a great cast. Um, even though you may not recognize him, you can recognize the voice. So um, going back to the Shinzon character, he's a, he's a clone. He's Picard's clone. That's an that's an interesting storyline. You know, you have the Romulans, which is believable. The Romulans somewhere along the line getting Picard's DNA and cloning him to possibly replace him at some some point that's 
that's an, to me that's interesting and it's also believable if you know in the in the world of star trek and knowing the romulans and all that kind of thing um and i do enjoy early on enjoy the scenes with um um with patrick stewart and tom harding you know this um back and forth play you know like um you know stewart telling them about the the family history of the picards um um, Tom Harding, you know, Shinzon, you know, talking about his life thing. And it, that that whole mirror, um, you know, what Picard's life could have been if he was in his shoes and vice versa. Versa, it's it's an interesting um it's it's an interesting plot point and an interesting thing to look at. Um now um where I'm in agreement with both of you guys is just the execution was just poor. I mean, um you get a few moments, like I said, you get a few moments where this this story plot line is interesting, but, you know, watching through this film, they waste so much time. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Brent Spiner. I, you know, I love data, but I, I did, we really need to have beef the, another a B4 in this film. I don't, other than the fact that he's used as an infiltrator, I don't think that, that the B4 adds much to the movie. So there's a lot of wasted time there. Um, the opening of the movie is really fun. You know, we get to see um, Riker and Deanna. They're at their wedding. Data sings Blue Skies. Um, we have some comedy on the on the bridge talking about the, the Betazoid version of this wedding. You know, Worf <laughs> doesn't really want to do the whole naked thing. Can't say, can't say I blame him. But then after that, I, I didn't really kind of understand the telepathic connection they were doing with Deanna and um, Shinzon and, um, you know, the Ron Perlman character. I don't, I don't, I don't think that really added anything to the movie. So I think you take away from the main plot point of just, you know, um, delving into Shinzon and the Picard relationship. Um, so, you know, that kind of the first half of the movie, um, you know, you don't really get a whole lot. You get a little bit, you just kind of get teased, but you don't really get more of that relationship and what that could have been, um, and the motivations. And then obviously the site, basically most of the second half of the movie is the battle that they have in the, in the nebula, which, you know, the effects are cool. The battle's cool, but at, at times it kind of gets drawn out. Um, and it, and it's, it's just kind of really long and drawn out. It doesn't, they don't really create, you know, I go back to like Wrath of Khan where you, you, you feel that suspense between the battle, battle between Kirk and Khan when they're in the nebula, it's very tense. This battle in this nebula, not only it lasts like 30 minutes and there's a lot of time in between where it's just kind of like nothing's going on. So you're not creating the kind of um, suspense that I think they were going for in, on, in the last half of the movie. So um, those are kind of those are my kind of thoughts on it. I'm, like I said, I'm kind of in agreement with Steve. In fact, there were things in this movie that were cool and could have been so much better to make the film a, a lot better, but it just didn't seem like they had very good direction on what they wanted to do with this film. Yeah, so let's talk about Stuart Baird. Stuart Baird is a famous editor. I don't know, I don't know if I could name more than half a dozen editors. Okay, and I'm I'm a movie guy, right? So the fact that I know who Stuart Baird is is that's saying something. He really is a very well-regarded, very famous, very successful editor and he has been around for decades. I've heard two sides of this. I've heard that he did some editing on a couple of movies to save them, movies he didn't want to work on for Paramount. And then as a reward, they told him he could he could direct something. Um, and they gave him Star Trek Nemesis because it, they didn't think it mattered who was directing that movie. I've also heard a different line that said Stuart Baird wanted to become a director in, instead of an editor. 
so he lobbied to get it, a directing job, and he got the one he didn't want, which was Star Trek. Either way, you get a guy that's not a director. I think he directed one other movie. I think he directed ex- Executive Decision. That, Yeah, I've read that Rick Berman saw that, and that was part of it too, but that could be another story entirely. Oh, I've never decision. heard that. That's interesting. Um, I mean, it's not like anybody watches that movie and thinks, oh, this is a good director. <laughs> it's, right. it's, a, it's a crappy little action you know, movie. I mean, Steven Seagal's in it, for God's sake. Anyway, um, the point is he was not an experienced director, and he has no interest in Star Trek. None whatsoever. In fact, not only is he not interested in Star Trek, he doesn't want to be interested in Star Trek. Shooting the movie, he never he literally never watched an episode of Next Generation. <laughs> not one. You know, as they're shooting the, while they're shooting the movie, he thinks he thinks Geordi is an alien. <laughs> you know, he's he's pissing off the cast members. He doesn't even say their 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 real names. He doesn't like I think Marina said that he kept calling Lavar Laverne. <laughs> just like I mean, the guy just didn't give up. So what was it? Why was Jonathan Franks not available? Or I don't think he rejected it. I don't think they offered it to him. But at the same time, I don't think he lobbied for it because he was really trying to get his career as a director going, and he didn't want to be known just as the Star Trek guy. He really only did. He did that clock, cl- clockers, clockwork. No, clockers is the Spike Lee movie. Cl- clockwork, something about clock, orange clock, whatever it's called. The kind of like teenage movie. It did okay, and I think he did one more kind of feature. Then he maybe ended up back in TV. So ultimately, maybe he wasn't as successful as he'd hoped to be. But I think he didn't really particularly want to do it. Well, did, had, wasn't Burton doing a lot of TV directing at this point? Too? Well, but no features. It really is a different animal. Gotcha. So at any rate, we got a guy that is not an experienced director. Turns out, he's not a talented director. And definitely... He had no interest in this movie. He had no interest in making it. He had no interest in knowing anything about Star Trek. You know, he kind of wants to change a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. And obviously some of this is the John Logan, Brent Spiner story and script. But, you know, I can see how the suits, how Paramount would be like, John Logan, I mean, he's a freak, you know, he if he didn't win an Oscar, he was definitely nominated. I mean, he wrote... Gladiator was before this, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, he was, you know, he's a big name, big name writer. You know, certainly the biggest name writer who ever wanted to do a Star Trek script for before. I mean, John Logan is part of the reason this movie got made because Paramount was so, and and Rick Berman were so excited to get such a big name writer uh, writing their script. So I don't think it's exactly the script. It's like what you guys were saying a second ago. Maybe a different director who cared, (laughs) maybe could have taken this script and and made the better choices at the right times to make it good. But yeah, let's talk about the Argo sequence for a second. How much I hate it. I I hate that Argo sequence so much. Oh boy. I would definitely rather watch all of Star Trek 5 like 10 times in a row before watching the stupid Argus Argus. I hate I hate the Argo sequence so much. Yes, just the way it looks immediately is is that crappy super bleach bypassy blown blow out all the highlights and now we're on an alien planet it's so cheap and stupid 
I hate that. I mean, it, it looks like, you know, like 90s direct-to-video sci-fi. Fine. Well, on top of that, I mean, you know, you kind of had Picard hype it out. I've been, I've been really itching to try the art, and then they get down yeah. there, and it's just a, it's just a it's, doom buggy you would see yeah. anywhere in today. It's, it's so dumb. It's so, like, like they're really going to be driving that vehicle? What? By the way, side note, six positronic signatures wouldn't, isn't the positronic part his brain? Shouldn't there only be one? Shouldn't that, it just yeah, be his that doesn't make any sense. But, okay, yeah. fine. Um, so they're down there, and all of a sudden they're attacked by who? Who are these people that attack them? That also just happen to have vehicles very similar to theirs? <laughs> good thing they brought that one, because everyone's... Yeah, that's good, that's good. And by the way, we didn't detect these aliens at any point, because not only did they suddenly come up on us, they were apparently all over the shuttle. And also, the Argo has a mounted gun turret on the back. Is that a normal... Okay, fine. Uh, by the way, is this are these people like pre-war? Because are we totally okay with them seeing the shuttle? <laughs> I mean, and us flying away? I was wondering that too, because I think they said they were they were pre-industrialized culture. So yeah, they were breaking the prime directive. To do, it doesn't make any. It's stupid. It's stupid. I mean, it's like uh, back up a little bit more. It's the kind of like basic. Well, wait a minute. This does, did, did you not give this a second thought at the wedding? What the f is Wesley doing there? I never understood this. I thought he was a traveler now. I thought and if he's not a traveler, he just goes back to being normal old Wesley and he's at the wedding? And this is not worth any commentary? Wasn't he in a Starfleet uniform too? Wasn't he in the white dress? Oh yeah, he was in the white dress. It makes zero sense. I read an interview, I think he, he brought that up. He's like, wait, and they're like, well, we don't know. But you want to be there, don't you? I mean, it's like, well... That's not how it works, guys. You don't. I mean, it doesn't. It can't work that way. I thought it was. I thought it was where they didn't even give him a line. He was just kind of a prop. I think he had some lines, but they got cut out of the movie. Um, I, I, you know, they're in the deleted scenes. So, but I, I agree with you that Tom Hardy is okay. I think. I think there are a couple of scenes. Maybe Tom Hardy isn't so great actually, which only stands out because we're used to seeing him be so good now. But hey, you know, it was a long time ago. He was young, and it probably wasn't his fault. <laughs> I, I, yes, and Stuart Baird is not a director. But I do think there are a couple of scenes where he's he's good. I think that very first scene we meet him, I think that's a great scene, actually. I think that's a really good scene. The way he's, you know, he's in the dark most of the time, and then we get that, the bit with Stuart, you know, the look on his face when the light comes up. Although, in retrospect, it works because we all know what he's thinking. Oh my God, he looks like me. But, of course, the first time you see the movie, it doesn't quite work. Right, because we don't know you, the audience, wouldn't know that unless they actually CG'd him and made him look like him or something. Yeah, now this, if this was made, it would be that it'd be Stuart playing against Stuart, you know, and that yeah. aspect would be better too. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I, but I do like that scene. I do like that scene. I've always thought it was weird. He has this Shinzon has this like sudden intense sexual fascination with Troy. I don't really get it. Is it? It's just because that's the first time you've seen a human female. I don't. I mean, I don't. He's just a horny little boy. That kind of takes away from the character. I mean, I just, I never really understood that. And then you have the Troy Riker sex scene, which, by the way, who would have guessed Troy and Riker uh, have like the most boring sex life ever? But okay. <laughs> yeah, just that whole that whole plot line just made no sense to me. It was yes, like a waste it's of time. weird. It's and a waste then, of time. Yeah, and when they when they bring that back near the end uh, during the battle, and she's like, "Remember me," and like her reverse violation i guess i don't know what you call that but like that that lighting where you, it's like showing her eyes and it it's it's like from a 1920s 
German movie or something. <laughs> it's uh, it's so terrible and cheap. It, I mean, it looks like a st- it's like something we did in, a, in student movies, right? What what, by, I, what I bothered never, me? I don't about, get it. What bothered me about that scene? It took real. It took a really long time, and I'm like, if you're shit, why wouldn't you just start firing at the Enterprise if you if <laughs> start shooting him so they would throw off Deanna? I don't know. They're just all sitting there waiting. It was just a very. It was supposed to be like a high, intense scene that ended up being the exact opposite, where you're yeah. just like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see her get something to do, but sure. it's not worth it. I mean, it, you know, if you cut out all that stuff, you have a lot more time to, you know, deal with the A and B stuff, which is the Picard Shinzon and the Data B4 and the parallels and all that. And, and that's kind of like, it's it's a nice idea, but you they just don't flesh it out enough. And so it's just kind of like, oh, I get what they were trying to do with that, but. You know, it's throwaway. You know, but so many we say, oh, that doesn't make doesn't make sense. So many things that don't make sense. So many things. That's what I'm talking about. The Argo sequence or freaking Wesley. How is that not a conversation? Honestly, the basic basic. You say it's a cool idea to have like this clone of Picard. Okay, I I I, I agree with you. But are we saying that magically, twenty years before Picard was a captain or an officer of any note the romulans magically knew oh he's the one that's going to be somebody so we should clone him i mean i don't i don't understand that did i miss something there how would they have known this we still would have been a captain right well how do we know that there are a lot more people that are not captains than are captains well he was a the stargazer right he was a, he was had a cap he was captain before the yeah. enterprise wasn't his first command but, uh, 20 years right. I don't think we know enough to know the timeline of how soon he was a captain of the Stargazer prior to the captain of the Enterprise. But yeah, they would have, you know, probably had to take a, a lot of DNA to hedge their bets or something. But they, no, they made it very clear they only made one human clone. They didn't yeah, make clones. Well, that's, that's strange. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have made more sense as like if this was like a program that they had cloned several. Yeah. And, sure. it probably would and have he made was the only one that happen. survived or something. Yeah. yeah I, I, okay. All right. Well, the only one that survived, or they could have even had a couple other clones of. They wouldn't even have to been specific. Yeah, you know, here's my other clone brothers. I mean, there's just so many. Just ba- like the the Romulan Senate, it's a really cool design. You look at the doors in the back. That they don't. They're not really doors. They're just like lots lots of holes. Like that air passes through. They're not like, you know what I mean? It's like, well, why is there even a door there? This kind of stupid thing that I thought of. Again, maybe if the movie was better, this is the kind of thing we don't talk about. But later, I think it's Crusher. She's like, yeah. I can't overstate the dangers of Thaleron radiation, Captain. In microscopic <laughs> amounts, it could kill everyone on this ship. Unless you release a whole bunch of it in the Romulan Senate that doesn't really have doors and certainly isn't there. <laughs> and it's only people in the small center room would be in danger. But otherwise... Right, and and we all know the, how, how paranoid the Romulans are. How goofy is this that, that she leaves this trinket that's like you know this huge thing on the desk and then walks out and everyone just sits around and then watches it bloom and carry on its gas in the air and then just huh what if this is interesting and of course you know it's like nuts i mean so she's the only one that leaves i have a meeting i gotta go to i'll see you later (laughs) this is pretty too a little too on the nose I'm sorry, this is a little head in the movie, but I, it makes me laugh every time. I remember this when I saw it in the theater, and it makes me laugh every time. You know, when, when Data and Picard um, escape um, escape through that window, and they're going in that little 
fighter jet thing and they're going back to the enterprise and you can see the tractor beam following the ship before it gets beamed out it's like uh, this little green ray uh, i'm like you never see the tractor beam it just, ma- just makes me laugh every time how ridiculous that is I-, I like some of the beats in those those final seconds you know escaping crashing through the glass they get the whole ship just gets beamed away but you back it up a little bit you know, when they're walking around the hallways of that ship, you're like, God, these are some wide hallways. This, Oh, I see why. Because they wouldn't have room for the scorpion thing to fly around. Yeah, okay, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, that's stupid. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works. Uh, Jerry's score, as always, is solid. Maybe it's not quite as good as some of his others overall, but it's still fantastic. Uh, and I really like some of his themes. And I like the way, this is a dumb little thing, but I'm just trying to find something positive to say. I like very much the way that he weaves in the the Berlin in with like the blue skies. It's like the same key going into his score the first time after Data singing it. And then we see the Enterprise D and then kind of the opposite later at the end of the movie. Little stuff like that. You know, Jerry Goldsmith still can't, doesn't matter if the movie's bad, he can still write it. He still defaults to writing a great score. So what did you guys think of the um, collision? I got hate is such a strong word. I, I, strongly dislike a lot of this movie and i i think that some of that battle sequence is solid enough that it it comes as close to saving the movie in the final moments as i can imagine i mean i think like that uh collision is such a cool idea and never been done before or since because you would need a movie's budget to even try to do it I think it works and it's kind of neat. And there's even a little bit of a story bit there. You know, we've got him, you know, he's, he's overconfident and I know him and he thinks he knows me and all that. So I I always thought that was kind of cool. I still think it's kind of cool. I still think it mostly, it mostly works personally. Yeah, I dig it too. Although I, I don't see how they could have salvaged the enterprise. How do you, how do you warp it back to earth to be repaired with a half? (laughs) Well, it was towed back. Um, uh, There was either a, it was in the novelization or something, somewhere, something to, they towed it back, which must have taken forever, right? I mean, I don't know how that works. I liked it too. It's it's kind of cool. It's probably yeah, it's the only really suspenseful part of the that whole battle sequence. It's the only it's the only moment in the entire movie that feels entirely unique for me. Almost cinematic. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you, when you kind of think about it, you're watching that battle sequence and, you know, they fire at the bridge, and, you know, the view screen gets taken out and a couple people get sucked out in space. It just kind of takes you into like reality. You know, if there's like a real there, there's no way the bridge of the command center of the ship would be on top. It would be somewhere. It'd be kind of like what an aircraft carrier is today. I mean, the bridge isn't on the on the, the flight deck. It's somewhere deep down in the ship. Well, now that moment, <laughs> that's the moment, right? Somewhere in there is where we get the the Brian Singer cameo, which I'm sure everybody at Paramount wishes they could, like, remove. <laughs> um, yeah, he's not uh, not a good guy. Not a guy you want people thinking about when they see your movie. I'm the only person that thinks this. <laughs> no, I, I, I remember reading something about that, yeah. I, I didn't see him. I didn't recognize him. Oh, okay. He's the only person. It's not like a wide shot with lots of people. The only person in the shot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I caught him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, do we want to talk about the death scene yet? Well, you know, even in a crappy movie, I feel Data's death. At the time, it was hard. Even even with all the stuff like you talked about, Steve, earlier, the sense that oh. 
Star Trek's got problems and maybe it's going away. Even with all of that, you still didn't want to think you you st- it still didn't make it okay that the data was dead. Well, what's the story behind that? I mean, is, was this well, Brent Spiner always said he didn't want to keep playing the character. Be- I mean, he, he said it like because I get older, but the character isn't supposed to. Or I mean, he talked about it kind of like that. But that, I mean, that can't be the reason. The reason is, well, look, we love all these guys, but if there's one person in the next gen cast that if you've seen them outside, you know, as a real person, like the actor Brent Spiner, I think probably would have preferred to become rich and famous, not from Star Trek. I don't know. Um, he hasn't embraced it like some of the others has. And I, he didn't really want to keep playing this character. All right. So when he and John Logan kind of hatched some of this story, I, I'm, I'm sure from day one, it was that they were going to kill Data. Um, I feel very confident about that from the way that Spiner has talked about it over the years. Steve, you've heard the similar things? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I think also you have the the, the facet of this that, I mean, if you can imagine if this would there would have been at least one more next-gen film, there may they may have done something with the B4 character too where there could have been some kind of offshoot where the actor's still playing things and you always have that potential. What up? What almost yeah, would have been like the Spock thing, you know, is yeah, you know, a little they, bit. They, they transferred his memories into them. So, because I remember when you know, in a vacuum, watching this in 2002, that afterwards I felt like, yeah, it's sad that he's dead. But then you have this, you know, replica that's maybe he downloaded memories, sort of, maybe you know, they leave it out like that up in the air like that at the end, and you know, not to mention that there's plenty of other characters Brent Spiner has played on there. So I mean, it wasn't, it didn't quite have the, you know, the teeth that other characters that you know would be just gone if they were killed, you know, so. So I think it's, I mean, I think it's an effective emotional beat. One thing we talked about, we won't, we won't get into any kind of spoilers for um, Star Trek Picard, but, you know, generally, as we talked about before, Picard kind of gave this movie, especially that, that storyline of Data's death and how uh, Picard reacted to it. Um, it gave it some weight, gave it some worth uh, in a way that the move, this movie doesn't. <laughs> and so in an o- odd way, Picard makes this movie a little better to me, which is just the craziest part, as I've said before about Picard. Like I never, who would have ever guessed that in a million years, that they would touch on literally the least successful next-gen movie and least popular, you know, <laughs> how they would have taken that and roll, run with it. But they did. And it's hard not to watch this and not think about that. Well, you would kind of have to. Um, so I've gotten into a little bit of Picard about three or four episodes in. And I mean, you know, like, you know, we, we've kind of spent plenty of our plenty of time bashing this movie and rightfully so. But I mean, it does have an important plot point in the star trek universe it's you know data dies in this movie and so how you could but what i'm saying is was that so important until picard um it's hard to say because you know the movie ends so quickly you know he dies and then you know it's there's only like maybe five or ten minutes left you don't really quite you're not you know you get deanna crying and you get that's a nice touching scene there at the end you know you know when they when they all toast to absent friends and and um, Riker, you know, tells a story about the first time he met Data. It's nice, but he, and then basically, you know, the movie kind of it goes into a more of a happy tone with Picard and um, B4 and 
before it starts humming, you know, blue skies. And so you kind of, it, in, you know, and then it kind of goes into that, that theme and then Picard's walking down the hall. And so you almost feel upbeat at the end of the movie, as opposed to like, say at the end of, um, you know, Wrath of Khan, when you're, you got that heaviness. I mean, there's that scene at the end where, you know, obviously Kirk says, I, I feel young again, but I mean, it's not like an upbeat feeling like you kind of get at the end of this movie. So you don't really, as an audience member, you don't really get get a chance to kind of feel it and absorb it then the movie's over well it's kind of it's the strange aspect of the star trek universe whereby any individual piece that we're critiquing is also a a spoke in the wheel you know and because in 2002 this was the last thing you know and it wasn't even addressed in any way shape or form throughout star you know star trek enterprise and then into the you know jj films and all of that you know until we got to picard and addressed it, it wasn't it wasn't only a spoke in the wheel. It was only that thing, you know, that, that kind of thing that killed next gen, you know? So, I mean, it can only go up from there, you know, but I think that's, that's why we, those who are fans of Canon and, you know, a, a serial kind of big universe that re- refers to itself, that's what's enjoyable about it. And so anytime that there's a reference like that, it, it just enhances everything that came before, you know? So, so, I mean, you know, the memorable part about this movie is, is Data's death. You know, we'll forget about, you know, the the clone and the battle. It'll just, it's just about this is the film where Data died. That's that's really the only important thing that kind of came out of this movie. And the collision. Yes. <laughs> What's this movie about? I think what they were trying to go for, you know, you have this image of yourself. You know, if you have John Luke Picard, you know, who's spent his life in service of, you know, the Federation and bettering mankind and um living you know he has a a moral compass um that's um kind of on on waveable and you know for those of you out there who haven't seen picard yet that that they carry that over into that show and then you kind of have the antithesis with shinzon um who is you know kind of almost gangster you know he's he's kind of dictatorial you know it's about conquest and about um just about his own ego it's not that picard doesn't have an ego it's just that he uses ego in service of others where um shinzon's ego is used in service of himself and in a vengeance and so you 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 know you have these you have the same character that just went on um different paths and i think they're that's what they're trying that's what they were trying to say i don't think they did a very good job of it it's like you know situations or choices um can go one way or another based on you know how, how you choose things and how your moral compass is and i'm i'm kind of stretching here because i don't i don't think they achieved that in this movie that's what they were trying to go for maybe um, um i'll let steve jump in and see if he has a little more to say about that well I, I agree that it's it's kind of in the in the nature versus nurture battle it's i think it's trying to say that nurture wins you know i mean that's the notion and if you if you take the a story and what potentially is the b story and if you did a better job of focusing on those elements and tying together you may have had something and i think that's what makes and, and we've talked about this kind of aspect in in any number of episodes and and features too where things go awry and that's what's often the most disappointing is when you have something that they could have rode with. Like there's a clear point that they could have said, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that. And if we stick to that point, 
and everything is is focusing on that maybe we maybe we can do something interesting here and and it's and it's the opposite of that here you know they they it's almost like it's it's accidentally that's what this movie's about um <laughs> you can imagine or something you know right it's it's that they they just threw everything out there and let's just throw all this crazy stuff here going on and make all these crazy choices and maybe we'll get lucky you know but um there 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 is that element of this that that could have been something interesting and and they just they just made choices to um spend their time and energy on any any number of other things you know yeah which you know and if if i take that scene you know when shinzon you know dies at the end of the movie when picard impales him with that you know and that was that whole scene um where picard is just frozen you know you just witnessed in a weird way your own death and you know the death of that other side and I like that scene, but you know, if they'd have done everything what Steve had just mentioned, that scene would have you might have it might have brought a tear to your eye because it would have given it a lot more weight and um, gravity um, throughout the whole movie. Now it's just like, oh man, that's kind of freaky. You know, you just you just saw yourself, you just killed yourself in a weird way, and that's kind of what you come away with, not like the. Not like what was emotionally going on, but you could see because Stewart's a great actor, you could see the emotional turmoil that was just, it just in his eyes what was going on, and that's a, a tribute to, to Stewart as, as poorly as this movie was written. He was able to still kind of accomplish that in that scene just with his eyes. All right, so four stars then, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of twenty. All right, let's do six degrees for Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, Adam? Yes. Jude, I had to ask this question because I recognized his voice, actually. Sicolella? Chicolella? Jude plays Romulan commander Surun. He is best known for playing Mike Novick in multiple seasons of what TV show that featured Trek vets in the writer's room, including Manny Cotto and Brandon Raga? TV show that I love... And I rewatched for the third time during this, I mean, the third time in my life uh, during this uh, COVID-19 lockdown. Would that be 24? Yes, sir. 24. Steve, I was going to ask, I was going to say this is the only Trek film to not open at number one, name the movie that beat it. But you said that during the course <laughs> of our conversation made in Manhattan. So instead, I will ask you. J-Lo. Um... At the end, Riker is talking about that song. He can't remember that Data was singing the first time he met him. What song was that? Oh, gosh. Um, I thought he was trying to whistle a song. Yes, he was. Okay. And uh, at far, you know, the Far Point episode. Um, right. Oh, gosh. Oh, you're going to regret You're going to know it the second you... I can't whistle or I would have, I give you the answer that way. <laughs> um, All our listeners right now are whistling oh, into their sure, stereos. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Don't feel bad. I, I don't know it either, Steve. Really? I a second record saying that. I'm like, <laughs> I, I heard it in my head. I heard, I heard data failing to do the whistle. And then Riker. Dee, 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 dee. Oh yeah. Pop goes okay. the weasel. Yeah, yeah. Pop goes the weasel. All right. Uh, so Adam takes that for the day. Boy, since our last podcast, I feel like we got that announcement about Mulgrew going to voice Janeway in the the Nickelodeon animated show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which the coolest part about that is it tells us kind of when the show takes place. 
which is great. By the way, I watched, um, I signed up for, you know, I renewed my CBS All Access so I could watch the first episode of Discovery Season 3. And I watched all of um, Lower Decks. It was fun. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was definitely something that got better. I mean, I felt like I was yeah. really enjoying it by the end. And at the beginning, I was kind of like, eh, okay, I mean, I got used to it or something. I don't know. Yeah, I like some of the characters. I, I thought it wasn't as, quite as funny as that book he wrote, but he was able to play with the characters that, like, you know, our normal next gen characters. So that's that's something he's not going to ever be able to do this crazy, silly things he did there. So it makes sense that it wasn't as funny as that. But yeah, I, I agree. It got better and I, I thought it was solid. But I mean, I watched it in like two sittings. The it, it, It's what, not even five hours to watch it all. So yeah, I guess I don't need to say anything. Did you watch Discovery Season 3, Episode 1? Yeah, Steve. I saw yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. All right. Um, well, we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss JJ's first Star Trek film. That's going to be like the beginning of November. And then our plan is we're going to take kind of a month off. And then the first week of December, we'll have like a Christmas episode, which is largely going to be an interview that we were on somebody else's podcast, uh, the Penske podcast earlier in the year. But we'll we'll have some other stuff in that episode, but that's going to be a big chunk of it. So my point is we've kind of only got two podcast episodes left for the rest of 2020. And then, like so many people, we'll be glad to put 2020 in our rearview mirror and start 2021 with a new plan, which we will discuss later. But um, until then, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Companion, Listener... Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. And again, we're going to be back in two weeks for JJ's movie. So thanks for spending an hour with us and take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.